0: I also get to read scripture this morning, so the scripture this morning is from Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, and I'm reading from the, from the NIV. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed He said, No, Father Abraham, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
1: Good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, speak to us through your word. May my words be reflective of your word and beyond that Lord may your spirit translate and speak into the hearts and minds of each one we trust in you and we open ourselves to hear you speak into our lives and the investment that you've made in us and we thank you again for that in the name of Jesus we pray amen we do not hear much about hell any more these days, especially from pulpits. Many preachers will give upbeat sermons that sound good, they're positive, they please the congregation. But when we think about the idea of hell, that is almost a no-no. In fact, I would guess if you polled all of us that are here and watching by video, that you would have a significant number of persons that would say, yes, I, you've already made me feel uncomfortable. You don't mention it, right? But we can't just take it out of Scripture. We, we do great to comfort and to bless and to see the positives of God, but we tend to have this view that the truth of God's word and God's investment in our lives is only about the positive things. And actually, I'm going to say that's true. That the whole understanding of hell itself is designed around something positive. Think about it, how many of you have baked a cake or made some cookies and they were perfect? They tasted exactly like you were going to get great acclaim at a church carry in because these cookies were so good. This cake was so good. And you looked at it and then dumped it in the trash. You don't waste that, do we? We don't think in those terms. How do you think that God felt when he did all of this creation and he proclaimed it as being good, in fact, very good, and then he sees that being thrown away, and he sees it being wasted, and he sees all the blessings and the resources he's gifted people with going against his will it's a tough one colonel robert ingersoll of the 19th century he was uh, one of the most fervent opponents to christ christianity and hell and he said this the idea of hell was born of revenge and brutality on the one side and cowardice on the other i have no respect for any human being who believes in it I dislike this doctrine, I hate it, I despise it, I defy this doctrine. This doctrine of hell is infamous beyond all power to express. Well, that's an opinion. But the reality is that God does invest and care for those that he created and for and wants to bless and wants to multiply and wants to to give this great gift of heaven. You know what's interesting? There was a poll that was done by ABC News that indicated that 70% of all Americans believed in heaven, but only 56 believed in hell. We want to believe that there is this place that is eternally good, and we want to believe in all of the blessings and the positive, And because you don't hear anything preached about hell, it's partly because our culture says, no, no, we don't go there anymore. We've learned. We've become more knowledgeable. We have figured it out. God doesn't punish us. In fact, no loving God would ever do that to people that he created and and make a provision for that as if God is the one who is choosing that route for their life and for their eternity. But the reality is that God is invested in his creation. And when he creates it, it's very good. And his very creation decides, it's sort of like a potter that sees this formation taking shape and there's a wobble, it's out of balance. They don't just destroy it, they reshape it. And that was the whole purpose of Christ's coming, was to reshape us into the mold that we were created for. And when that isn't working, or when that creation decides, as God gave us the ability to choose that we don't need God anymore, we don't want God anymore, we are not going to be obedient to God. It's not God choosing for us. It's God allowing us to choose for ourselves. And we need direction. We, we have lots of questions. So let me give you just a few questions to reflect on. Perhaps in your... Sunday school classes you might have discussion about these how do we believe in the reality of heaven but not hell how do we respect God if he doesn't keep his word so that's the other problem we have as bible loving persons and a bible loving church people that believe in God's word his written and living word that we decide that we're going to take out all the passages about the, the challenge of choosing to go a route against God and then don't want the results or the, the uh, accommodations for those, those choices? What are we going to do with that? How do we respect God if he doesn't keep his word? How can a loving God be so cruel to not let everyone go into heaven? How could Lazarus be granted a a second chance, not be granted a second chance? How could the rich man not be granted a second chance or at least be comforted to have his family warned? That's what he asked for. And so you have... Uh, these questions related to this scripture. And I want to just share a few thoughts about uh, this scripture. This parable is, is a jab at the religious leaders for their oppression of people. The meaning of the rich man and Lazarus is a warning to those that aren't paying attention to the needs of others. The attitude, that attitude has no place in God's kingdom. So let's just talk a little bit about this passage and the story overall and what God's purpose and Jesus' purpose on behalf of his father, what he's conveying to us about it. I think already there's a struggle with, with all of us on this topic. This may not be particularly comfortable You notice in this story that Jesus doesn't even bother to give the rich man a name. He gives Lazarus a name, but not the rich man. He talks about this life of being adorned with the finest clothes, including purple, which was the wealthiest that they could afford in that day. Feasting daily, this guy had it made. And here was Lazarus, and the only thing that adorned him were the sores that he had all over his body. And he was forced to eat scraps from the rich, that fell from the rich man's table. He waited for those. Jesus even added a detail to this story about how low this guy was, that the dogs even licked his wounds this detail is significant as it would have made him unclean and unable to worship because of the contact with these dogs. And that would have excluded him from the temple. It excluded him from the faith. And so the, 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 the lesson Jesus is making sure to point out here is that if you are poor, if you're underprivileged, if you don't have enough money, if you don't have enough status, if you're a lousy, no good beggar and you're diseased and you're an untouchable, then you are not blessed with the kingdom of God or even being able to go to church and worship. And I want to tell you that is one of the greatest challenges of our culture and our day the challenge that we have is the same as the challenge that is in this parable, and that is we don't like people who are different from us. We want people to be the same. We want people that make us feel comfortable. We want people who have some class, and we want people who make us feel better about ourselves and, and great about ourselves and And we come in and we work and we work and we work at having a wonderful, beautiful, great experience at church. But we don't feed those who are hungry. We don't minister to those who come from a very different walk of life because they're different. That's what this story is about. This story is less about heaven and hell as it is a story about how you spent your life on the wrong things. And Jesus cared enough to give us a choice in life, what direction we want to go. I think that's a pretty powerful thing. This story points out how Lazarus' body was tossed aside. A fair assumption would be that it was thrown into the city dump. Jesus offers this detail after detail about how low he was just to show how much we struggle with blessing those that don't deserve it and that don't meet our standards. And then we ask this question. Where were the standards in our lives that Jesus would come and die for us? And the reminder already in our song and and Doug mentioned it, for Jesus to be the center, we have to be able to completely shift our thinking around and recognize that the whole concept of heaven and hell was a choice that we make ourselves, not the one, not one that he predetermines and sends. It's not one he does want everyone to be in heaven. That's why he came and did what he did for us. And so um, we we have this as a real challenge because honestly, many people reading this story assume that Jesus is focusing on the destructiveness of hell, but rather it's really about our treatment of others here and now and the consequences of our choice. The story of Lazarus is important for us today because it really calls us to reevaluate our approach to what is church and what is community and what our calling is. So it is also interesting that Jesus would not give extra grace to the rich man, but you'll notice the rich man was still concerned about his family and his friends. And he was still using Lazarus to try and get something that he wanted. And the concern about his loved ones, I'm not saying is invalid or is not genuine, but he made his choice by not taking care of those that he had an opportunity to be able to help while he was living. And that's the confronting part of this whole thing. You know, it's amazing how much in Scripture, you see this demand for miraculous signs. Like, we want to see, uh, see God work. We'll believe all this stuff. We'll have faith in all this when you show it to us. And you know, time after time again in Scripture, when God would show it, they would write it off, and many of the leaders of Jesus' day would find other reasons for why it was not valid. We are good at that. We want to justify our sin and our brokenness. We want to justify our attitudes. We want to be able to say to other people, if you, if you understood this the way we understand it, well, that's the whole point of a universalist perspective of faith. There is no hell because we don't think it makes sense. So we're just going to believe in a faith that only provides eternal blessing for everyone in any circumstance, in, no matter what they've done or what their attitude is, even if they're rejecting God. And we think that that would be a God that respects his creation. And we decide that we don't want to have to deal with it. This was a classic reversal of fortune for both Lazarus and the rich man. And it says something to us that Jesus is saying something to us about how we view these years that we have in life. We have, every one of us here has had someone close to us pass. And every time that happens, we recognize how brief Our years on earth are. And it's difficult. And so we're called in this passage to hear what Jesus is really saying to us about how to live. Because how we live will determine how we die and what happens after that. And you don't have so many references, something like 70 or more references in the Old and New Testament to the reality of hell without there being some meaning to that. So again, we have to look at squaring what God's word is saying in the big picture. But I I just want us to see that what Jesus was pointing out makes a difference in how we live today how we walk with people today, what attitudes we have towards others today because there are Lazaruses all around us. Any given Sunday, we have visitors that will come in. I pray that they'll come in and we have an opportunity to love and embrace them or to pull the rich man approach and distance ourselves and divest of any responsibility let's share just a few things about looking at hell and looking at this passage and what it says about that as a result eternally it reminds us who God is and who we are it reminds us of God's purpose for us There was a a governor of Massachusetts, Christian Herder. He was running a a very strong campaign for a second term in office. And one day after a busy morning of chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and Herder was famished. As Herder moved down to the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece of chicken on his plate and turned to the next person in the line. Excuse me, Governor Herder said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. The governor said, but I'm starved. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. And Governor Herder, who was a modest, unassuming man, but he decided that at this time he would throw his weight around a little bit. Yeah, that's not particularly humble, but he did. And he said, ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And the woman didn't miss a beat. She said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. We need that reminder of who we are. We are sinners saved by grace. Don't ever forget that God's grace is there for us. And we are now channels, ministers of God's grace to other people. And the opportunities of life, the richest, best parts of life are helping other people. That's the point Jesus was making about the rich man not being willing you know to to honor God in His life and to not make a better life for Lazarus. Secondly, our focus on underst- understanding the, the the realities of heaven and hell it it humbles us to realize what God's grace through Jesus Christ saved us from. That that the importance of understanding that. When we put ourselves in others' shoes, we have a change of heart. It blesses us. And we recognize that we also were in need of grace. And now we have the opportunity to offer it to others. It also reminds us of the importance of our choices. One, one p- pastor that I was reading, a sermon of his, he said, decide ahead of time, that you will obey God. In other words, name your commitment. Don't just do the church thing. Don't just do the Sunday school thing. Don't just do the small group thing. Don't just do the hymn thing. Do the praise song thing. Do the little communion thing. Do the little prayer before a meal thing. Just, you know... Don't just do those things because that's your faith. When we actually step out of our comfort zones and reach out to other people, it makes a difference. But we need to, first of all, declare. And, you know, we don't do altar calls very often. We have. Some people feel we should do them every week. My feeling is, quite honestly, If we did it every week, it'd become another church thing we do. Say, But because every one of you as ministers is empowered to pray with anybody that you meet with in that foyer, what would that look like if we never make it to Sunday school because we've got 50 people out here praying around other people? What would that look like to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit by simply doing what Jesus is pointing out in this parable is caring for other people here now. Sorry, I missed Sunday school, but this is more important. Sorry, I missed this, but this is more important. This is where God is at work, is in our ministering to other people. And we have to make that choice and name our commitment to say, as for me and my house, as Joshua said, we will serve the Lord from this day forward, from this moment. You have the power right now to say, Lord, I am yours. I'm committed. You give me the opportunity. Open my eyes. Help me not to miss it, how I can help somebody else. How can I actually step out of the comfort of my wealth and my perfect little life and actually get messy and minister to the power of God at work. That's the point that Jesus was making. It wasn't about the destructiveness of hell, the suffering or torment of hell. That is a reality that is named very specifically. His whole point of this was, I've created a way for not only a better life, but to give you the power to minister in my name that love and that peace and that grace and that joy to other people. That's his more important point. This also calls us to search deeply the word of God, to invest our lives and to organize our lives around the commitments that we've made. I'm willing to shift and organize whatever it takes to be able to serve God and love God. And that's, that's also you know, a part of every ministry we do. We shift, we organize around it, we wrap around it. We already ha- had the, the wonderful reminder today, how do we better wrap around the daycare in our prayers, and in, in our gifts, and in our support? How do we wrap around these kids and the teachers, how do we wrap around in every ministry, in the youth ministries, in the visitation and care through our our caring ministry group? How do we engage and actually search the Word of God? Second Peter, first uh, one sixteen, um, talks about. Uh, the, uh, the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eyewitnesses of his majesty. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and we will are challenged to pay attention to that as to a shining light in a dark place. And in verse 20, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we're really called to study and dwell deeply in the word of God. And it calls us to a compassion for others the same that Christ had. And so if there's nothing else you hear in this, God had compassion for the lost people of this world to send down Jesus as a redemptive work. And we are called to do the very same thing. We are called to make that difference in people's lives. C.S. Lewis commented on the difference between heaven and hell. He once provided this powerful image of the difference. He described hungry people as sitting at a huge banquet loaded with delicious food. Every person had a meter-long fork. That's a yard, about a yard-long fork and knife attached to their hands. The scene in hell was one of anger, frustration, and fighting as people scrambled to feed themselves. They could reach the food with these long knives and forks, but they were too long to feed themselves. The conflict, screaming, and unfulfilled hunger continued for eternity. C.S. Lewis says, that is hell. But the scene in heaven was different. The same tables were loaded with the same rich food, and people had the same long forks and knives attached to their hands, but instead of chaos and conflict, there was joy, there was laughter, there was a pleasant conversation. The difference? In heaven, the diners weren't trying to feed themselves. Each person was patiently taking food and feeding the person seated across the table from them. C.S. Lewis concluded that people who spend all their lives trying to fulfill their own selfish desires are already experiencing a kind of hell. But those who live a life of service to others will find themselves at home in heaven. They had learned the joy of service on earth, and now they had an eternity to enjoy it only more so. On day six of the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission, the astronauts needed to make a critical course correction. They failed. They failed. They had to make that adjustment in order to ever be able to return to Earth. To conserve power so they they were back and forth with Houston and multiple conversations and sorting out what their options were and so they, were, they decided that there would be one last chance that they could try to correct the direction and not be lost to space forever. And so they had to con- shut down the onboard computer that steered the craft. It was a risky move. They had to shut it down for a certain period of seconds. 39 to be exact. And they had, 39 seconds was also corresponding with a burn of their main engines. With no computer to guide them, they needed to come up with a way to stay on course during this burn because their computers were shut down. Astronaut Jim Lovell determined that if they could keep a fixed point in space through their tiny little window... They could steer the craft manually. That focal point turned out to be the planet Earth, their destination. As shown in the 1995 hit movie Apollo 13, for 39 agonizing seconds, Lovell focused on keeping the Earth in view. By not losing sight of that reference point, the three astronauts... Avoided disaster. My question this morning is this. What is your focal point? What is it that you anchor your life around and toward? Because it is life. If, if it does affect all of life and all of your future life. And to focus on that. I want to close with this passage from Scripture. Proverbs 2 1 to 5 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you. Now, notice this not just store them up, I mean, not just accept the words, but store them within me. That means I treasure them. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I don't believe it's our job ever to preach people into heaven or preach people into hell. I don't believe that's our choice. I think we're going to be very surprised to see who is where. But I do know this, that God's made a way for us to be sure that we can have certainty by our commitment and our focus. You notice searching for it as for hidden treasure, crying aloud for understanding, applying my heart to understanding, seeking wisdom, turning my ear Are we committed to that level to be the church that makes a difference in people's lives, particularly the Lazaruses that are all around us? That's our challenge today because that is what determines whether or not we will be barking up the wrong tree when it comes to the end of our life. That's gonna be the reveal for us. But God has made a way through Christ to have absolute certainty by focusing on his word, the word of Jesus Christ. May we build our hope on nothing less. I invite the team to come up at this point. Just want to encourage us that this closing song would be one that we can sing and share and make a recommitment to saying, I choose the way of the beauty of heaven and to live that life consistent with that now. Let's stand and sing.